Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we have once more to always study your word. Lord, we are so thankful for this precious time. We're thankful for the, the watch care through the week. We're thankful, Lord, that you continue to speak to us and guide us. And Lord, may you please grant us your Holy Spirit as we dig into your word once more, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal to us the truth as it is written there in the scriptures. And most of all, may these words guide each and every one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, friends. We are continuing our study series on the early kings. And today our topic is entitled, The Sons of Eli and Samuel. And last week, we studied about Hannah and her miraculous birth. Her son Samuel was dedicated to the Lord, and she followed through with her vow. Even though that was her only son, she was willing to still follow through with that promise that she had made to the Lord. And so she brought Samuel to the temple eventually after he was weaned, and she would leave him there even at a young and tender age for the high priest to take care of him. And so now we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And so Eli, he was the one that was high priest, and he was the one that was taking care of Samuel at the temple. However, the Bible says there that there was no open vision. What does that mean when it says no open vision? You see, visions were given from God to the people and usually through people we call prophets. Look at what the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 7 and verse 26. Mischief shall come upon mischief, and rumor shall be upon rumor. Then shall they seek a vision of the prophet, but the law shall perish from the priest and counsel from the ancients. So it says that when there's no open vision, you see here, vision comes from or goes at least to the prophets. So when there's no open vision, it means that God was not communicating with the people through the prophets. God was not guiding them. God was not leading them. He was not giving them messages. He was not giving them counsel. He was not in their midst. And why? there must have been something that was taking place in the camp, in the Israelite nation that was hindering God from coming to them and willing to communicate with them. There must have been some sort of sin that they were holding on to, and here we're going to see, namely, in Eli's home as well. However, before we get into that, how old was Samuel at this point? You know, of course, he was left there, but then he was growing, obviously. And how old was he? Let's keep reading in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters and the child Samuel grew before the Lord. 
So look, this is important. This, this is important to understand his age because of what we're going to be looking at here. The text tells us that Samuel, when he was left there and Hannah went home, God blessed them with more children. And so he must have been around 10 to 12 years old at this point. He certainly wasn't five years old anymore. Yes, it was only a few verses, but time passed by very quickly to the extent that the text says that Hannah had at least five more children. And so if we were to go the minimum, right, one child per year, he would have been at least 10 up to 12 years old, possibly a little older, but definitely not into his 20s at that point, you see. So what was the wickedness that was taking place in Eli's home that caused there to be no open visions? What was going on? Let's keep reading 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we're going to go back a little bit from verses 12 to 17. This is what the Bible says. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They were wicked. That's what it means. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a fish flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. This was the custom of how the priests would perform their tasks. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but roar. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So the names of Eli's sons was Hopni and Phinehas, and they were priests that served under their father, Eli, who was, of course, the high priest. And it was not that they didn't know the Lord, as it said there in verse 12, but they were rebelling against God and his instruction and all that he wanted them to do. They were priests serving there. And you see the priests, they often, you see, they couldn't work. They weren't given, quote unquote, money. But everything that the people offered, the priests were allowed to take a portion home with them and it would feed their family and themselves. And so they were allowed to take this food. But what was happening? In, instead of just eating the food fully cooked, they were taking it raw, okay? They were eating the meat raw. And not just that, they were eating the fat that was on the meat as well. You see, the priests were not allowed to eat blood. They couldn't eat raw meat. They couldn't eat fat as well. It was forbidden by God. And so the fat had to be cut off and the meat fully cooked before they were allowed to eat it. And yet they were doing it before that. So they were despising all these offerings that people were bringing and coming to the Lord. But that was not all. What else was taking place in the family of Eli with his sons? So yes, they were eating raw meat. They were eating the the fat that shouldn't have been eating. They were eating things they should not have been eating. But what else? 1 Samuel 2, 22 to 24. 
Now Eli was very old, and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. What was Eli's sons doing as well? The women that came to offer the sacrifices, they were sleeping with them at the temple there. They were committing fornication. And so Eli, he heard about all these wicked things and all he did was say what? This is not good, my sons. Why are you doing that? He just gave them a little slight scolding. He did not discipline them properly. He did not do what he should have done as a father nor as a high priest. And so this was what was taking place in the family of Eli. This is what was happening. And as a result, the Bible says there was no open vision. The sons were eating raw meat. They were eating the, the fat and not cutting it away, and they were also committing fornication with various women that would come and offer sacrifices at the temple. Now, from the position of high priest, let's let's put father aside for a minute. As position of high priest, which was the highest position in the nation at that time, it was judge of Israel. Eli was the judge of Israel. What should this judge have done? What should he have done for his sons or to his sons. Let's go to Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they shall both of them die. But the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shall, or both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away evil from Israel. What should Eli have done? He should have pronounced judgment on his sons that they die. He should remove them from the position of high priest and sentence them to death. People were stoned in those days for committing fornication and adultery. But all he did was just scold them with words a little bit and it didn't have any effect on them. It didn't change them. It didn't do anything. He was a neglectful parent. And so God ultimately would have to take things into his own hands. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we'll read verse 27 and 29 and verse 34. And there came a man of God unto Eli, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice, and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat, with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel my people. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons, on Hopni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. You see, God would send a prophet, not to give them open visions again, but to pronounce a judgment on Eli and his sons. 
He had been a neglectful father, and as a result, both of them would die in one day. So that's how we know that. That's the reason why now that we know that God was not communicating with the children of Israel. There was no open vision because there was open sin in the camp of Israel, and it was committed by those in the highest position as priests as well. The sons of Eli, they had affected the whole nation. Their wickedness had affected everybody and stopped God from communicating with them. Yes, friends, when we are in these high positions, it doesn't just affect ourselves. It affects those around us. Fathers and mothers, I want you to consider this as well. The sins that you commit. Yes, the children of your, your children might not be kept out of heaven because of your sins per se, but your sins do affect them. It does influence them. It does have an effect on them. And in this case of Hopni and Phineas and even Eli, they affected the whole nation that the prophets would not communicate with them, that God would not come and communicate with them. Let's keep reading though. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 2 to 4. We now come back to Samuel. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. So God now comes to talk with Samuel one night, and, you know, he's lying there sleeping in the temple. It's interesting. It seems like they were sleeping so near to the ark of God. But there he is sleeping, and God comes calling. But he thinks it's Eli. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 3, 5, And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. So Samuel, he comes, and Eli's like, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. You must have heard something in your mind. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. But God would come calling again. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, And the Lord called yet again. Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. And so he's mistaken once more. He comes running to Eli, 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 here I am. What do you want? And Eli's like, you're mistaken. I didn't call you. And what was happening here? What was taking place? Let's keep reading in the next text. 1 Samuel 3, 7. Why was Samuel mistaken? Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. The Bible says here, he did not yet know the Lord. What does that mean? It's not that he didn't know God at all. It's not that he hadn't been doing his devotion. And even though the text there said that the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him, it's not that he was not reading the scriptures. No, Samuel was growing. He was growing in understanding of the word of God. He was walking with God, but God had never ever spoken directly to him before. And you know, friends, that was a rare occurrence, not just in those days, but throughout Scripture. You see, many times God would give visions to people. Yes, God does speak directly to people, but very many times it is through visions, it is through His Word, it is through the Spirit impressing their hearts, right? But 
Samuel, he had never had an experience where God spoke directly to him audibly. And so he did not know God's voice. He didn't recognize it. When that voice came to him, he thought it was the voice of Eli. And so God comes again the third time. 1 Samuel 3, 8-9. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt speak, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So at this third time when Samuel comes running to Eli again, Eli perceives that, hey, if, if this boy keeps coming to me and thinks that I'm calling him, it's definitely someone calling him, but it's not me. And he realizes that God is the one that has called Samuel. God has bypassed the aged high priest, the aged judge. He has gone past Eli to go and talk with a young child in Samuel. What a slap in the face it must have been to Eli. You know, he was the one that was so-called leader of the nation. And now God is passing over him to go and talk to a young child. And so, nonetheless, even though Eli must have been wondering and thinking, why God, why have you bypassed me? He instructs Samuel what to say when this voice, when God comes talking to him again. And sure enough, God comes once more. 1 Samuel 3.10 And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. You know, he didn't say those exact words that Eli taught him to say. What did Eli tell him to say? Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Nonetheless, maybe in his nervousness, he forgot and he just said, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And, um, you know, look, God does continue to talk with Samuel. Even though he didn't address him as Lord, God understood his nervousness. He didn't get offended and just walk off, how dare you, you didn't address me as Lord. You know, in the Asian culture, many, many times we get upset if people don't call us pastor or mister or missus or uncle or whatever it is, you call by the first name. It's not acceptable. But here, Samuel just says, speak for thy servant heareth. But anyways, what is it that God is wanting to communicate to Samuel about? That he would bypass the aged priest and go and talk to this little boy at the age of about 10 to 12. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 3, 11 to 14. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. What was it that God was coming to talk to Samuel about? It was the judgment that he was going to perform on Eli and his sons. 
because Eli did not restrain his children from committing all this sin and wickedness and do what was necessary to prevent them from doing all these things in the temple, God would judge his house forever. He had been a neglectful father and he had also been a neglectful judge. You know, maybe he was afraid to talk to them or he was just hoping, hey, ah, my my sons are going through a phase. They will grow out of this. He'd been too lenient, thinking, assuming that they would be converted by some miraculous act or with the position that they served in the temple or that they would just outgrow these things and stop doing these bad things altogether one day, you know? But Eli had stood on the sidelines watching his sons and knowing them and doing these all these things, and yet he did nothing. You know, maybe he was praying earnestly to God, God, please change my sons and, you know, asking for conversion, hoping that God would do something without him having to step in and to intervene. But God would not do for Eli what he had power in and of himself to do. Eli should have acted as a faithful father and a faithful high priest. He was the judge. He had that highest position in the nation of Israel at that time. He had the power to do something if he wanted to, but he never did. And because of this neglect, God had to take the matter into his own hands. He would bypass the aged priest as a sign that he was not going to work through him anymore, but he had assigned someone else to take his position. But he would go and instruct and tell them the judgment through someone else. You know, however, we already read in chapter 2 that a prophet had already come to Eli to tell him about the judgment of his sons. How come God is now telling the same thing to Samuel? It wasn't anything new to Eli, but you see, friends, it wasn't so much the message. It wasn't that Eli didn't know. It wasn't that Eli didn't understand the judgment that he was going to receive from God, but it was the act of God passing over him to now talk to Samuel, the little boy. It was clear that God was passing over him now, and the mantle of leadership was about to be put on Samuel. Yes, a young little boy. You know, friends, this really teaches us a lot about the importance, especially as parents, to train up our children in the right way, but also to correct them. Yes, in love, but to rebuke them, to correct them, to take the matters in our hands when we see them doing wickedness, when we see sin rising in their hearts, when we see that what they're doing is not right, we have to check these evil practices. If not, it doesn't just affect them, but God sees our unfaithfulness as parents where we could have done something, but we did not. And so God, He holds those sins of theirs accountable upon our own hearts and lives as well. We had the possibility, we had the opportunity to say something, to do something, to intervene, to make sure that this wickedness did not occur or keep happening. But when we don't, God places those sins on our shoulders. You know, was Eli a religious man? Probably. He probably loved the truth. He probably loved the Lord. How do we know? You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, there was war between the Philistines and the Israelites. And the two sons of Eli, they go and take the Ark of the Covenant, that most sacred ark 
that furniture in the temple, they went and took it off the wall. And you know, the Israelites, they saw that as a holy relic. In the past, God had instructed the people to carry the ark. You know, when the children of Israel walked around Jericho, the ark of the covenant was at the very front. It was, in a sense, a holy relic, but it looked at they looked at it like a lucky charm. And they didn't care where, how we lived. This ark was powerful, and if we brought it with us, we would win the battle. And so the Israelites asked for the ark of God, and Eli, I mean, pardon me, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they would bring the 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 Ark of the Covenant off the war, but the Israelites would lose the war and the Ark would be taken. They would lose and the sons would be slain and the Ark would be taken and messengers would come back and report to Eli what had happened. Look at this. 1 Samuel chapter 4, 17 and 18. And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. You know, Eli, he was asking about what happened. And there have been a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons also, Hopni and Phineas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And look at this. And it came to pass when he made mention, not of his sons, but of the ark of God, that he fell off from his seat and fell backward by the side of the gate, and break his and his neck brake, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. You see, when the messenger came back and told him, hey, your children are dead, Eli didn't react. But when he heard that the ark of God had been taken, he fell back and died. He cared not so much for his sons. He cared more for God's, God's furniture and his, his, the, the worship and the presence of God. He loved God. Eli was a religious man. He was a faithful high priest. He didn't commit fornication. He didn't do all those things that were wicked but he neglected to check the evil that was taking place in his sons and in the temple. He loved God, but he didn't do the job of a faithful father and a faithful high priest. And so really, even though he loved God so much, he still came short. He did not train his children in the fear of the Lord. He did not correct them. Actually, he did not fulfill properly his office as high priest because if he did, he would have stoned his sons. He would pass judgment on his sons. He would remove them from being priest and he would judge them right there and then. You know, friends, I want to show you that this applies to us more than just as parents but as sons and daughters of God. You know, maybe some of you, you're not in a relationship yet, you're not married yet, you don't have children yet, but you know, friends, this applies to us more than just as parents. Let me show you. In Ezekiel 33, verses 8 and 9, this is what God tells us. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Do you see that? It talks about this wicked man who, when you see him doing all this wickedness, and you don't say anything, and he dies, his sin is on your shoulders. But if you see this wicked man doing something and you warn him and say, hey, don't do that. you got to stop and you do all that you can to reverse what he's doing. 
and he still dies in his sin. The Bible says you delivered your soul. The outcome of the wicked man was the same in both verses. He died in his sin. But the first instance, you didn't say anything. The second instance, you did. You warned. You tried your very best. God holds us accountable for the things that we should have done but we did not do. And Eli, he saw the wickedness in his sons and yet he did nothing. He did nothing when he should have not just scolded them and told them, hey, what you're doing is bad, but he should have stepped in and judged them. But you know, we're not at that point. We really haven't gotten to the story of Hopni and Phineas and them dying. Where we stopped really was God bypassing Eli and going to talk to Samuel. And so the next morning, Eli must have been curious. What did God want? What did he say to this little boy that he would not say to me? And he must have had an inkling. He must have had a feeling and a thought. But anyways, Eli comes to Samuel. 1 Samuel 3, 15 to 18. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to shew Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every wit and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good. You know, Samuel, he was scared. He was scared to tell Eli what had happened. Eli was like a father to him. Eli was the one that raised him. His mother raised him when he was young until he was weaned. After that, he was with Eli. So Eli was basically his father. And at the same time, also high priest. And he was much older than him. And to tell Eli such a straight message of judgment from God, how scared he must have been. But nevertheless, Samuel was faithful to tell everything that God had told him about Eli. And Eli accepted the message. It wasn't new. After all, a prophet had already come to tell him about this. But you see, as a result, Samuel, because he was true to his trust in delivering this message, to tell this straight message to Eli, God exalted him and made him a powerful influence for good. And this would mark the life of Samuel, to always be faithful to tell the message of God to whoever it was, no matter who it was. And so we read this about Samuel. 1 Samuel 3, 19-21, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Bathsheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Do you see that? The Bible says here that Samuel grew and none of his words fell to the ground. Samuel was faithful in telling all of God's messages to his people. He was true as a prophet of God, as a mouthpiece for God. All of Israel would come to know that he had been called to the office of prophet. And shortly after, in the next chapter, Eli dies 
After hearing that the Ark of God is taken, Samuel transitions smoothly into the role of the next judge. And Samuel, he would be a mighty judge. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 to 10. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. It was obvious that the hand of God was with Samuel, that even as he was offering the burnt offering, God would fight for the Israelites, attack them, and overthrow them. Yes, truly, it was clear that God was with Samuel, that God was working through Samuel, that God was blessing the whole nation of Israel because of Samuel. And you see, friend, because of one man's sin, there was no open vision, and a curse came upon all of Israel. But when one man stood up and was faithful to God, that one man became a blessing to the whole nation as well. Friends, it's so important that we stand up and do right because no man lives to themselves. When we do right, it affects all those that are around us. But similarly, when we are in a position of influence and we do wrong, it affects everybody as well. Look, our study is about the early kings. And so far, we've not studied about the kings yet. Why are we going through all of this? I want to show you the background and the importance as to why we are looking at all of this and leading up to that point of where the children of Israel would have a king to follow one day. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. So he got married and he would have children as well. And it says, Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, and took brides, and perverted judgment. Friends, if there was one spot in the ministry of Samuel, it was the same as that of Eli. It was his sons. He did not raise up his sons in the right way. He did not rebuke them. He did not perform his office faithfully as that of a judge. The sons were wicked. They chased after money. They took bribes and their judgment was not just. They did not judge fairly. They could be bought by money, you see. They could be bought by by whatever it is that people would bring to them and bribe them away. And you see, friends, We need to learn from the mistakes of those before us instead of keep repeating them. Samuel did not. He was raised by Eli. He saw how Eli was with his sons, and he became the same way as well. And so because of this, there were big repercussions of his lack of disciplining and training his children. And because of this, Israel, they saw what Eli had gone through. And now, yes, for a time, Samuel was faithful, but when he had children, that same wickedness that they saw in Eli and his sons, it came back again through 
Samuel and his sons as well. And so we read 1 Samuel 8, 4 and 5. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And, you know, at the beginning, when Eli went through this, they didn't ask for a king. Why? Because God had a clear successor. It was Samuel. And very clearly, Samuel and his faithfulness, it it benefited and blessed the nation. So they had no need. But when they saw the wickedness come up in Samuel, Samuel's sons, pardon me, they had no hope for the future. They couldn't see beyond it. And so the elders of Israel would come and ask of Samuel and really ask God for a king. They had lost faith in God and they now wanted a man to lead them. A man like how other nations would lead them as well. They wanted a king just like all the other nations. The sins of Israel have been accumulating for decades now. People have been drifting away from God and every time there they came a judge and would lead them into the light and bring them back to God and help them to be faithful. We saw that in the book of Judges. And, and then they, as they would judge, the people would be blessed. But then as the judge dies, they would go into sin. And this, this, this cycle, it, yes, every time it happened, it would drive the people into deeper sin, deeper wickedness to the point that what? God was rejected because of the actions of man. It wasn't because God was unfaithful, but the people were unfaithful. And so we read 1 Samuel 8, 6 and 7. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. You see, friends, in asking for a king, they weren't rejecting Samuel as their leader. They were rejecting God. They wanted a human to judge them and lead them and fight for them. Up to this point, God was their leader, even though there were judges and prophets and priests. Just like Moses, Moses was following that cloud. He was following God and all the instruction. Yes, he was seemingly the man at the front there, but God was still the leader of the nation. But in all that happened, in all the apostasy and sin that was taking place, the people had lost faith in God. And as a result, they ended up rejecting God, the one that who is so willing and ready to guide them. And they asked for something they should have never asked for. Two wrongs don't make a right, friends. And especially the two wrongs were not on the side, one side on God and one side on man. You know, sometimes when someone does something bad to you, you do something bad to them, right? That's what two wrongs is. But the, the, the wrongs were both on the side of the people. They were the ones that were leading people to sin. And then they are the ones that come and ask for a king. It must have hurt God deeply. It had nothing to do with him. But yet they came asking for a king. And this was the background as to the reason why eventually the children of Israel would be like the nations around them to be led by a man, a king on a throne that would lead them out to battle instead of priests walking with the Ark of the Covenant and God fighting for them. You know, often, friends, our actions 
will recommend people to the gospel or push them away from the gospel. People make decisions about God because of what they see in us and our lives and how we live it. And friends, may all that we say and do be a blessing and a light to all around us. May our influence be a savor of life unto life and not death unto death. May God guide our actions and our words that we do not become a stumbling block to people around us. That whatever comes out of our mouths and all the words that we say, all our actions would not push people away, but to draw people to God. For truly, everyone that is baptized into the kingdom of heaven, that is baptized into the fellowship of God, we have this influence that will recommend people towards God or push them away. And yes, that is a position of leadership because people in the world don't know any better. We have to come up higher in our words and in our actions, in the way that we live our lives. May God help us to that end. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, forgive us where often we have professed your name as a Christian, but we've not lived like it. Forgive us, Lord, where we have done those things. And sometimes even we think in secret that no one else sees. How can it influence them? But Lord, our lives all have an influence to tell whether you are with us or not. And so, Father, please forgive us and cleanse us and help us to come up higher. Help us to accept the true calling of what it means to be a Christian. Help us, Lord, to do that which is right, even sometimes when it is the most difficult thing to do. And so, Father, please, be with my brothers and sisters, be with myself as well. Help us, Lord, to always do that which is right, no matter what, no matter even if the heavens fall, Lord, no matter the consequence. Help us that none of our words would fall to the ground as well. So may you lead us and guide us, Lord. May you bless us with your Holy Spirit. May you strengthen us in the inner man that truly we can do all and be all that Christ wants us to be today. Thank you, Lord, for this second chance. May you take away our sin, replace it with your righteousness, and give us the strength always and the courage to follow you and to do that which is right. Thank you, Father, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friends. Thank you for joining us today. May God continue to be with you and guide you in all that you say and do. May we be like Samuel, the faithful prophet, that none of his words would fall to the ground. So until we meet again, friends, may God be with you and bless you and guide you. Goodbye for now. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.